This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Today's guest is Tracy Clark. Tracy is a certified oncology nurse with more than 10 years of experience. Tracy is also a mom of two and shares free tips on her social media platform and blog, which are linked within the show notes. In today's episode, we will debrief the Dream Podcast, talk about why evidence-based practice is so important, and chat about the toxicity of the wellness culture that has affected some of her patients along the way. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Today's show is sponsored by Sarah Belly. Sarah Belly was founded by neurosurgeon Teresa Persner. You can hear all about the story that inspired the brand, within the episode we recorded together about six months ago. After becoming a neurosurgeon, Teresa went back to school to earn her PhD in developmental neurobiology at Stanford. After having her three children, she was having a hard time finding baby food that focused on the proper nutrients needed for the developing brain. And thus, Sarah Belly was born. Did you know that 80% of a baby's brain is fully developed by the age of three? Cerebelli is the only brand of organic purees that provide 16 key brain-supporting nutrients. Let your baby explore veggie-first, clean-label project certified flavors with no added sugar and spoonfuls of nutrients with Cerebelli. Parenting is an art. Cerebelli is science. And you know how much I love science. My kids also enjoy their smart bars, which are great for a quick, nutrient-packed snack for on-the-go. Today's listeners can get up to 35% off your first order of Sarah Belly with code Lindsay20, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y 20, plus an additional 15% off when you subscribe and save. Let's get back to the episode. Good morning, Tracy. I'm excited to have you. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk with you this morning. So a few things before we start. So the first thing is you may be hearing some very loud machinery in the background of this podcast today. It is because our neighbors next door are completely redoing their, I'm not really sure what they're doing, (laughs) but it is very loud. It's been loud for weeks. So unfortunately it is what it is, but Tracy said she can't hear it. So hopefully you guys also will not have to listen to that as well. So today we're going to, I'm excited about this topic because we're going to talk about the dream podcast, the wellness industry, how that sort of affects what Tracy does as an oncology nurse. And I had been talking about the dream podcast when I had Instagram and I found it to be a really informative, awesome podcast. If you guys are looking for something that you want to binge through, they basically do a breakdown of the wellness industry. They expose the dangers of MLM marketing and they go into detail and it's really, really cool. So we'll touch on that a little bit and what we thought about it. And then we're just going to talk about some things like evidence-based medicine, what that really is, the placebo effect, what that really is, the regulation of the wellness industry, and some things like that. So Tracy, do you want to start off with maybe touching on the Dream Podcast and what you thought about it? Oh, sure. Good question. So a friend told me about the Dream Podcast when we she was talking about multi-level marketing and I've always just wanted to talk about this because I feel like cumulatively we all have these kind of, I have a lot of like 
interesting experiences or kind of like awkward social experiences in that space where, you know, people I haven't spoken to in years kind of cold calling me, you know, using a lot of really interesting language, like you've been put on my heart and I see the good you're doing. And so these little interactions will happen and there's not really anywhere that they're ever discussed. So if they just kind of get filed away in this like, interesting like or like not really knowing what to think about everything overall and so it felt like when I finally was listening to it and and I it took me a few episodes into it to really start feeling this way but and then especially in the wellness season too it felt like when I was in Paris and your mind was like working so hard because you don't understand any of the language and then I overheard someone speaking English and I was just like it doesn't even matter what they're saying. It just feels so good that someone's like speaking in a language that I can understand. Like, and that's how it felt listening to the podcast. I just felt like it was talking about all of the things that are so influential in our culture that affect everybody that everyone has these experiences more so in the wellness, especially, but just finally hearing somebody talk about it and, or, you know, it didn't even matter so much what she was saying, but just that it was being discussed. Yeah. And like you said, there's only two seasons, right? There's, yes, it's been a while since I listened to it, but yeah. So there's two seasons of it. And the first season, you know, they talk a lot about women trying to get, you know, jobs from home and working from home and how, you know, the MLM industry really benefits from that because women are like, oh, this is so great. I can be the homemaker and take care of my children while also making money and having a job of my own. And you know, I, I totally get that from a, a standpoint of, you know, a mom of four. I I find it very hard. Like I would never personally be able to be a stay-at-home mom where I did nothing else. I find a lot of comfort within my own job and I love being someone else other than mom sometimes. And it makes me a better mom personally. Not everybody's like that. And I think there are amazing people who are stay-at-home moms who do an amazing job and don't want you know any type of a job outside the home. I'm personally not one of them. I love to do both and it makes me a better mom. So I, I totally get that some people do love that aspect and they get really excited about things within the MLM industry or the wellness industry as a whole because of that aspect of it, because it seems so amazing. It's like the best of both worlds, you know? So I think that's how it like captivates people. <laughs> yeah. The podcast just such a, does such a, an amazing job of breaking it all down. And it's pretty amazing. I think they talk about this briefly, but the wellness economy, it's worth, I think it, it was like in 2018, it was like $4.5 trillion. And it's a it's an economy that's not very well regulated whatsoever. I mean, you go to the grocery store, there's a whole aisle of wellness things and none of them are FDA regulated. And literally anybody, I, if I wanted to, <laughs> I could just go create a supplement and be like, this will help you read better or read faster. And you could buy it and it's completely unregulated. I could put whatever I wanted into it and that's that. And it's pretty wild, but that is like, the exact scenario that we're looking at right now. And people are buying these things. And if you can advertise, you have money for advertising, you can make anything take off. And I feel like it's almost become worse um, in the past two years. Tracy, what do you think? Oh, I don't know. about And well, yeah, I guess with Instagram and social media, people sharing a lot more about what they're taking. Like so many people have sent me screenshots of like people just taking bowls of supplements <laughs> and sharing it and talking about what they're taking. Yeah. And I think there was a there was an opportunity because of COVID that people were like, oh, you know, let's boost the immune system with this, you know, X, Y, and Z and and advertising it that way where it could help your immune system, you know, in these crazy times or whatever. But I also, yeah, I just feel like that industry kind of blew up in the past two years. I'll be interested to see like, you know, what the numbers are from like this past year, for example, like if it's surpassing what it's been in the past, but We'll have to wait and see. Oh, yeah. I mean, who knows? The pandemic changes that <laughs> has like affected so many different sectors. But I definitely feel like with Goop, too, that there's there, you know, she has a whole store. Any any of these, you know, I don't even know what I would call like alternative shops, I, I guess they will call or like shops that would sell supplements. They're just, there's so much, I've seen more. I've never seen any before online, but they've they come across my plate more often now, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think the most dangerous thing when it comes to social media is that there's a lot of health and wellness influencers and even people that are outside of that health and wellness that are still trying to sell whatever product it may be. And it's not because they're speaking from it from a professional expertise standpoint. It's because (laughs) they've created an online persona, you know, like it's not because they're really well-versed in the health and wellness industry. It's because, you know, they created a large account of followers and know that they can make money from it. So I wanted to touch as well before I ask you the next question about placebo effect and what that actually means and what that actually is. And before I go on to, I just wanted to mention that I personally, and I'm sure Tracy, you agree that there is a place for complementary medicine. Like I don't, I'm not here to put down someone who goes to acupuncture and then is also trying to do fertility treatments or, you know, what have you. I do think there's a place for, especially like some Eastern medicine practices that have been practiced for a very, very long time. And if that makes you feel good, that is going to do nothing but give you progress along the way. It's not going to hinder you as long as it's something that's considered safe by whoever is taking care of you, your provider. I think that there are definitely things that can help you along the way along with Western medicine. So I just wanted to mention that kind of before we went further, but. Absolutely. Although I have to comment, like so many times patients will write in saying, can I take this and they'll name a supplement? Mm -hmm. Really, there's only like one person who can answer that question, which is our registered dietitian who can check the databases, see if there's any actual research or studies of interactions, because oftentimes actually antioxidants can make cancer treatments and radiation therapy less effective because they basically coddle the cancer cells. So it's doing the exact opposite of what you want. So even, you know, patients will write in and there's a large number of cancer patients who who take supplements at home, according to, to research, but they, you know, all of the providers aren't, there's not research. So we really can't say if it's safe or not, or if it interacts and the few people who can, you know, rarely get asked from everybody, if that makes sense. So there's so much danger in it. And there's so much lack of information because we, by definition, they don't have research if they're a supplement. Right. Now I'm, I'm curious, do your, most of your patients, are they, you know, prescribing these, these supplements essentially to themselves by the research they're doing, or is it, they have a alternative medicine provider who is providing these supplements? Like, is it typically they're doing it or is it typically someone else that's involved? That's a very good question. And I'd love to know the answer to that as well. Most of the time with the more, if they're, and and they won't even say anything. So a lot of times I find out about it if I'm talking to a patient triaging whatever reason they're calling about. So they're not doing well and they're speaking with me. And then once I, if I have a longer conversation with them and prod, like, well, what do you take at home or what else is going on? And so many times, once I really have the time to dig into and ask them, you know, what else are you doing? It will be like mistletoe injections, or I've been taking this mushroom supplement that's, you know, they're calling about a rash, and they have been taking this supplement as well. And so I think some of it is that their family, a lot of times the patient's families, and this is, I think, a huge like this could be the whole, this is the underlying to everything is control. So sometimes family members, you know, being, having good intentions feel so out of control that they start looking, grasping for things that are within their control that they can get. And that would be like, you know, this mushroom supplement from another country, I'm bringing it in and I'm paying for shipping. And this is what I'm doing to help you, you know, treat your cancer. And I think for other people, patients as well, it can be feeling like you're trying to take control of, of some piece of it. And so, I, I mean, there's so much like psychology to the whole, to all of it as well. You know, like what, what are, yeah, I don't, I, there's so much to be said. Yeah. I mean, no, that's like, that's, that's a really interesting point. And I think oncology patients are, it's honestly the scariest when you try to, when, when you mix in these wellness supplements, because like you said, I mean, radiation, chemotherapy, these are things, none of, none of these supplements, I, I'm guessing have probably been studied within, you know, the context of receiving radiation or chemotherapy and the chance of a reaction, or like you said, the chemotherapy or radiation not working as well. I mean, that is a huge, huge, huge concern. And very scary to think about. 
So yeah, I, I mean, it just, it's just crazy. And even if it doesn't directly cause the treatments not to work, uh, like antioxidants is what I was specifically referring to that have research showing that it's decreased effectiveness. But uh, like I had a patient taking mistletoe injections, which I was like, isn't that poison? But her liver numbers started going up. And so it, even if it doesn't directly, you know, counteract the good effects of chemotherapy, taking supplements aren't really healthy, like, especially when we don't know what's going on or interactions and people, well, if they're taking one supplement, usually they're taking a lot of supplements. So it's like, not only do we not have research on that one, but we don't have research how they all interact together. On the combination. Yeah, exactly. The interaction. And I think that's what some may not understand is that, you know, the second you add in something, even food, and an interaction. Do you know what I mean? Like you look at Coumadin, I mean, Coumadin, you know, your your levels can go up or down depending on what you eat. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it can have detrimental effects. You know, if you were to go ahead and eat like a ton of leafy greens and that's all you ate, <laughs> you know, for days or whatever. But are there any, I want to ask you, are there any supplements out there that you know are safe and proven to be helpful in those that want to prevent cancer? That's such a good question. And I love talking to our dietitians about this. So basically, anytime this question comes up, it always comes back to your body was specifically designed to absorb vitamins and minerals from the foods that you eat. And that it will never absorb nutrients the same way it does from supplements. And in addition, we don't have research about supplements, if they're safe, if they're safe with other supplements, if they're safe with your medications, if they're safe with your treatments. So Really, and I know people, you know, everyone just wants to make sure they're doing the right things for their health. And and that's part of why I get so angry at the wellness industries, because they're hogging so much platform and space, sharing information that is just could basically just be harmful, where we have ways of saying this is what you can do to help prevent cancer. It's eating not not a lot of animal-based products. So really focusing on a plant-based diet is, is very helpful. There's phytochemicals in really colorful, leafy uh, greens, fruits and vegetables that have uh, been shown to help reduce cancer, exercise, not smoking. And I feel like people, those are kind of throwaway things because they require a lot of work, like changing your diet requires a lot of work and exercising requires a lot of work, especially now that I'm, I'm a mom, I'm feeling that more than ever. Like, okay, I want to go to jazzercise, but I don't have anybody to watch my kids. So it's all of these things are hard, whereas just buying a supplement, you can feel like you're doing something right. And people are telling you, this is what you need to do to, you know, be healthy or prevent cancer or prevent COVID. And so it's like, it's much easier to buy something and, and feel like you're checking a box. But I mean, truly, truly, truly. And weight loss, I, I know that that's really like touchy and it's it can certainly be not helpful for people, but it does having excess body weight. You Basically, you have more hormones in your body if you have more weight on it. So that can contribute to like breast cancer. And there's a lot of cancers that higher incidences with higher body weight. And I myself am overweight. So it's like, it's, I, it's nothing that I will ever say you, you need to do this as your first thing. But I think just having that awareness that, you know, especially if you can control your diet and exercise like those and eating plant based foods, those are huge. And those there's research and strong support to recommend doing those things. So I did want to reemphasize right in the beginning, you had mentioned, you know, the best way to get vitamins, you know, a lot of people will take extra vitamin D, you know, extra this is through diet. And yes. I know it's, I mean, I'm literally preaching to myself when I say this, because Same. <laughs> I am not the best with my diet. I just am not. I'm, I'm, you know, busy and I grab what I can grab and it can be so much better than it is. but best thing that you can do is be hyper aware of adding a lot of color into your diet, like you said, and just introducing all of these different vitamins and minerals through what you're actually eating because your body will be absorbing the vitamins and minerals so much better and easier through your actual food than if you're putting a pill into your stomach. Absolutely. And you're not going to overdose that way. I mean, most people don't eat 500 carrots at once, but what we, I always say, you know, in terms of patients wanting to eat antioxidants, you can eat them, eat, eat as many, you know, eat with a normal amount of whatever you like, but you're never going to overdose and have those ill effects from foods like you would from supplements. All right. I want to touch briefly too on 
the placebo effect and what exactly that is, because I think it's really important because a lot of these supplements or these these uh, wellness companies will will say, okay, well, we had 95% of our, our clients that purchased our product had a significant decrease in back pain after taking our, you know, <laughs> our supplement. And placebo effect is very real. And you know what? It It's not always harmful. So I think it can be helpful. Like if someone says, you know, listen, Lindsay, when I diffuse lavender oil and it makes me feel more calm, it makes me less anxious, it makes me a better person and there's no harmful effects to her based on her medical history and all of that. That's fine. Besides an ailing, an antigen. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's great. I'm so glad. But that is placebo effect, right? Like, we don't have any research to support that that specific oil is going to make you less anxious. It's just making you less anxious because you're breathing it. You like the smell. It's affecting you in a positive way. And that's great. You know, that's fabulous. And that can happen with a lot of different things that we take, including some of these supplements that that these brands sell, is that it's having a placebo effect. So you might say, oh my gosh, I do feel better because you really wanted this supplement to work. Like you've heard great things about it. Oh my gosh, it's going to make my hair grow twice as fast. I'm going to look great. My skin's going to look great. I'm going to take this supplement and you really truly believe in it. I mean, there is a lot of power behind a really positive, healthy mental attitude, right? <laughs> so if you have that attitude about a certain thing that you start taking, you're going to probably feel better because you are thinking that this thing that you're taking every morning is really going to benefit you. So the definition of a placebo effect before I ask you this question is a beneficial effect produced by a placebo drug or treatment, which cannot be attributed to the properties of the placebo itself and must therefore be due to the patient's belief in that treatment. So super, super important to kind of understand what exactly a placebo effect is. So Tracy, what is the overall, I mean, I know I kind of touched on this, but like the overall problem with this placebo effect? Yeah. So it's interesting. And I feel like the word placebo has gotten a really bad rap. And I mean, we've been taught to, it's not ethical to give a patient a placebo if they think it's, it's actually something different, but placebo, I think really can be used to people's advantage with, with a lot of things. Like I don't think there's, and in particular, like the way I practice oncology nursing is all of my patients that I interact with, I usually end up doing some kind of offering up some kind of supplement to, to what they're doing. So whether that's social work and connecting them with resources for their family to help with caregiver support, we have a, an awesome mindfulness class that I recommend to every single patient that calls in that ends up talking about some kind of stress that they have. We have a journaling club. I practice healing touch. So I am certainly not, I think there's a lot of benefit to be gleaned from the idea that your mind is powerful and that your belief can be channeled into things that are low risk, if that makes sense. So placebo, I, I think that it's it's something that we need to look into more because it's so powerful. Like, as you mentioned, people can feel really better. And I always say, you know, look at what the risk of, of the activity that you're doing. And like, for example, acupuncture, it's there's research showing that it works better if you believe it's going to work, which is exactly, you know, what you're talking about. I mean, placebo is you're getting acupuncture and you knew you were getting acupuncture, but if you think it's going to work, then it's going to work better for you. And I think that all just has to do with how powerful our minds are and thinking, you know, when you're doing any of these activities, if you want to do it and you're saying the purpose of this time and space is to relax, is for me to focus on my health, is for me to focus on myself. And that doesn't have to be something that you're paying for. That could be, you know, mindfulness done in your home or, you know, some yoga or stretching that you do in the morning, that you're going to have that effect with whatever you do. But some of them have risks. And so it, that's, that's where it's unethical is when there's these unknown risks that people don't even understand they're taking. So I think, you know, I think there's just so much interesting to be gleaned from placebo and even looking at the COVID vaccine like data, the number of patients who had fatigue, who had received the placebo vaccine. So I think they got literally um, 
normal sailing, <laughs> and, but they they were fatigued the next day, and it's that's kind of like the opposite of what placebo, where they were expecting to feel poorly, they were expecting to not be doing well, and so they're they're experiencing the effects. Which I felt when I saw that data, I was like, oh my gosh, look at this! But like the numbers between the people who actually got the vaccine and who didn't, both not, both groups had a lot of fatigue the next day, which I thought was just fascinating. And then you have to think, well, how many of those people that got the vaccine actually were fatigued? But, you know, as opposed to just, you know, I got the vaccine, I'm expecting to feel tired tomorrow because everybody else felt tired. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yes. And a lot of it, and that goes back to belief and expectations with what you expect will happen. Yeah. I mean, the mind is very, very, very powerful. I don't think we touched on this yet, but yet, but I want to, before I talk, I, I really want to hear about some of the interventions and things that you've seen, but I want to touch very briefly on evidence-based medicine. And I think what frustrated me out of the last two years when I was on Instagram was that there weren't a whole lot of people practicing evidence-based medicine on there. Even people that were in the medical, you know, the quote medical field, you know, there was a lot of cooks in the kitchen sharing information that wasn't necessarily evidence-based. And then of course it can take off depending on, you know, what circle it's shared in and, and things like that. So the definition of evidence-based medicine, let's do that first. The conscientious, explicit, judicious, and reasonable use of modern best evidence in making decisions about the care of individual patients. EBM integrates clinical experience and patients' values within the best available research information. What a mouthful. It honestly is like the conscientious, (laughs) explicit, judicious, and reasonable use. Wow. My gosh. Okay. So basically you are looking at your patient, patient's values, clinical experience, and then looking at your best available research information. And I want to say now that not all research is created equal. I was just going to say that. Can you explain like why when people say, oh, here's these recent, you know, I've seen so many things where they'll attach and here's my research and they attach all of these articles to the end. Like what is the problem with that? Right. So, and the internet is just like this black hole existence of any research. If you wanted to look up, how can I cure my cat from cancer? I'm sure there's research to support like apples or something. You know what I mean? Like you can find whatever you want on the internet. (laughs) So, you know, I think that's where it gets really complicated, but that is also why we have people that have gone to school for many, many, many years to be able to break down research and determine how reliable and how much we should rely on that that data. There is an amazing podcast episode. I will link it in the show notes. It's with Peter Atia. His podcast is called The Drive, but it's literally a podcast on how to break down and read scientific research. And it's a really cool episode, especially for those that are not in the science or medical field. And it may give you a better idea of how, you know, when you're looking at an article, things to look out for, things to check to make sure that what you're reading is actual reliable information. Oh, can we just talk about like the Stanford mask study? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that yeah, just yeah. came to me because that's yes. like, the perfect example. Yes, yes. But also like, I don't, like as you're saying that and people understanding, like, yes, it's important that people understand the scientific process, but like, like as like as we're just thinking about this, like to me, it really just feels like there's this, you know, the scientific community and what's peer reviewed, strong level of evidence and understanding that to make recommendations. And it really just feels like the public has stormed this space with no understanding of like the the way that safety is built into these research and, and recommendations and not understanding the rules. And then everyone got a soapbox and a microphone and it's just chaos. And part of it is like, I don't know sometimes why people need to know, not why they need to know, but like, it's, I, it's just so much information. And it's like, if you, I don't know, it's just so overwhelming, (laughs) you know, I don't even know, but the Stanford mask study, I think is the perfect example because like I saw that and I work at Stanford and I was like, what Stanford would never say don't wear masks and they cause premature death. Like what? And I was like, I'm literally sitting in the Stanford parking lot right now, putting on my mask to go into Stanford. Like this is what? And then it turns out, you know, the guy didn't have anything to do with Stanford. All all of the research was like 
not, that he cites in the, in his opinion article basically is like, does not support his thesis. And it just was a, was a mess. It wasn't a Stanford study. It wasn't an NIH study. And it <laughs> overall just like wasn't even an actual study. And then I saw an, a post that was shared by several people that I know. And this is why it was so, it's so like frustrating. That was shared by several people I know that, you know, they shared it. The original post when I looked at it was shared over 200,000 times or liked over 200,000 times. And it's, I'm like, all of these people have seen it. And then there's no repercussions. They just, when they, when it was, you know, egg on your face, everyone just deleted it. Nobody took the time to, to talk about, Oh, that wasn't correct. And here's why it's just like goes away, but the damage is done. Everybody saw it already. And so it's just like, that's the perfect example of why we live in such a frustrating reality right now. Well, and like you said, Anything that's controversial that's going to spark people to get angry or really excited, those are the things that are drawn to the very front of everybody's feed. The algorithm feeds off of fury and rage and anger. And the people that are posting about this mask study were probably like, see, we didn't need any masks. And then it's, oh my gosh, and then shared a million times and all the way to the front of everybody's feed. And things that are boring, like masks work or whatever, is not going to make it to the front page of anything. Stanford's response saying he has nothing to do with us. Masks work. We strongly recommend masks. I think that was like when I looked at it like 5,000 times or something. I was like, yeah. exactly. This is exactly <laughs> the problem. But that's not what people want to hear or see, right? Because it's not super exciting and doesn't inflict rage. And, you know, ultimately that's, you know, just another one of the like 25 reasons why I wanted, when I, why I wanted to leave social media is because all it is, you, you sign on there and you either get really, really angry or you're like really sad or, you know, it's just such violent emotions that go through you because of what people are sharing. And those are the things that are, are making the top of your feed. It's, it's not, it, it's main to our feed, but you know what? I I've been like thinking about this idea a lot lately and it came some from you recommended a podcast with his name is escaping me um, oh, from uh, the social Tristan? dilemma. Yeah. He's red. Yes. Tristan, Tristan. Tristan. But he talks in the podcast with Joe Rogan about there was a couple, a black and a white partner, and they each were, they were really getting into a lot. They were not getting along and not seeing eye to eye on a lot of the Black Lives Matters topics. And at one end, they were just like arguing and arguing and arguing. And I think he mentioned they were like thinking about getting divorced. And at one point they switched each other's phones and realized that the black male, I believe he was, his whole feed was just filled with police brutality videos. Like when he signed on, it was just video, video, video. And then I believe it was a white woman was the other partner. Her feed was filled with entirely like blue lives matter. And I, I'm forgetting even what her content was, but it was very, you know, like this is what they, those people did wrong. And just, you know, feeding into these, these separate, very stereotypical, you know, white narrative and black narrative. And he said they switched their phones and that changed everything. And they were like, so like their eyes were so open and now they look at each other's feeds and really, you know, if you think about Twitter, the idea of birds in the morning, the reason why they tweet is to, to figure out the location of other birds, what happened over the night. They're basically like getting their bearings for the day and, and resetting themselves to reality. And so when we open our phones and our news feeds, like it's just feeding us what, what our, they think our reality should be. And it's usually what we already were thinking or like things that they know excite us or trigger us. And so it's just like such a bad way to orient ourselves to our day. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, what we did for the holidays, I got us one of these like dual phone charger holders and we keep it on the other side of the bedroom. And at night when we go into the bed to the room, whether it's seven or nine or whatever, we put our phones there and we keep them there all night because we have a TV in there. So we'll like watch usually how we connect is we'll at 7 PM, we know we go up there and we'll read, we'll hang out. Well, we got these like cool, like conversation cards, which have been fun, like asking like, you know, like these, yeah, they're, they're great. And then, you know, we'll watch a show that we love or whatever. There are no phones allowed in our bedroom essentially. And it's like really, really great because also when I wake up in the morning, I'm waking up and going and working out, 
hanging out with the kids, doing, and I was doing that anyways, but I'd always like wake up, you know, for the first 20 minutes of my morning, I'm scrolling, I'm responding to messages, I'm seeing what happened overnight. Like, who cares, right? (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes I feel like, you know, it is a really, and that's the other thing that's hard for me personally too, is I feel like so many good people, like you're one of the people who understand evidence-based research and like the space is just flooded with people who have no business sharing or educating others about healthcare doing so. And then it feels like all of the people who have, who do belong in that space, who do qualify to share that information are leaving because of exactly what you're talking about. But it's kind of just left the space with nobody, like very few voices and the voices that are sharing are, I'm sure getting very burnt out, you know, like, Laurel Bristow and epidemiologist just cat and Dr. Risa and and truly my experience like when I've done ask an expert on my Instagram and so I'll I'll ask different doctors for my work or whatever to come and talk but they like are not on Instagram because they don't have time to be on Instagram they're seeing patients they're doing research they're doing their work and there's just people are getting their health information to make decisions on social media but that is not where any of the information is that you should base those decisions off of. And it's, it's hard. (laughs) I think too, for me, I mean, it was really rewarding in the beginning, especially when the vaccine came out, I did a lot of evidence-based medicine based on what we were seeing in pregnant and nursing women and the studies. I was part of a study and, and talking about it and being really truthful about everything that I was worried about, wasn't worried about things like that. And it, I think it did really help a lot of people make the decision to get the vaccine. And that was wonderful. There was a point in time where I feel like a light switched where I I was able to reach the total amount of people I was able to reach. And then it turned over to just pure, awful nastiness on social media where I was getting attacked on a daily basis by probably many groups of anti-vax, I, I call them anti-vaxxers, but not everybody's in that category. Let me just, I just want to clarify. These are people that are promoting misinformation or disinformation about the vaccine and they are telling people they will perish or whatever from the vaccine. Like that's who I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the person that has questions, that has had a history of, you know, something happening after one and just has some hesitation. Like I'm I'm certainly not putting those people in the same group. These were people that would attack make it their business yes. to come to your page to to spew hate. Literally the word is attack. You know, I I, I'm fairly certain my my content was probably just being posted on these forums of these people because that's quite literally what would happen whenever I would post something. It absolutely takes a toll. And I had gotten to the point where I said, you know what? Like my mental health and my family and my life is worth so much more than what is happening here. And I'm sure that's why so many people, like you said, that are in the medical and scientific field are leaving that space because the people left are not people that we're going to be able to reach. Do you know what I mean? Like those people, they have their mind made up. They're part of some group of people that that is kind of how they're relating and they're not going to leave that group. Like they're they're there and that's what they think and they're, no one's going to change their mind. And that's fine. I don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> at all. I have no desire anymore to sit and argue with people on the internet. Like that is, that is just not at all what I want for myself. Yeah. And it's not changing anything. So I think it was really great in the beginning. It just, it, it had its good run (laughs) and and that was it. So I think that's probably why. But that is hard because there is the connection and you know, you do have people reach out and say, I got vaccinated because of you. That's happened to me a few times. And I've been like, to me, the I don't know if it's a lie that I tell myself, but I'm like, that makes it worth, you know, all this time that I've invested because knowing that one person is protected and, and like their household or think of their contacts. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's amazing. But yeah, it's a high price to pay for that. All right. So let's kind of switch gears a little bit. I want to hear very quickly about like, what are some of the craziest things, like the interventions that patients have had that are absolutely not supported and that you've seen in your practice? gosh. And it's a lot of it is really sad. And I think some of it, like I'm imagining, like, why did this patient sign up for this? And I I have to try to imagine like, what was it like when they were heard about this idea or pitched it, you know, where they said, yes, I'm going to 
pay for that or, you know, let's do this. I wrote out a list because there's been some very interesting ones over the years. So vitamin C infusions, a lot of patients want to do those. Oh, yeah. Vitamin B injections. We do give vitamin B injections actually in our office for very specific reasons. Like if someone is low on vitamin B or they're taking like a lymph does when a medication that, that they need it, but it, like it's not recommended for everybody. Ozone therapy, which I meant to Google that. I don't actually know how they're giving ozone people the therapy. ozone layer. Endo laser therapy, mistletoe injections. Mistletoe injections was one of the like worst what that is I've heard. What? I've never like, what? Also, though, I guess my main question is like, who is allowed to be giving these? Like, why isn't and like why is why are we not shutting them down? Like, why there are a lot of like just CMB. Like, I went to Vegas, and the last time I was there, there was like a little thing in the hotel, and it was like, come in and get vitamin C and vitamin B infusions and hydration. And I don't know what kind of a medical license you need to get it, but. It's really, there's actually, there was like a doctor that I heard about. This is very interesting. I don't know if I should say his name, but he was in Chicago and he would charge patients crazy amounts of money. This was a few years ago. I want to say the patient had told me it was like $10,000 per round or, or more. And he would put them into where their blood sugar was super, super dangerous low. And then he'd give them one tenth of the dose of the chemo. And he was saying that that was, you know, and, and again, it's just, I don't even know why patients do this, but truly. And, and then I've seen that there was a patient who we saw in dermatology who had like elephantitis or lymphedema of her leg. So one leg was like five times the size of the other one, severely disfigured. And she said she had gotten supplements from a plas- uh, like a plastics office in Beverly Hills. And the supplement was supposed to like fill in wrinkles basically. And it just really permanently disfigured her by like messing with her lymph system. I guess I don't just, and rashes, so many rashes and people get headaches. And that's the thing, like reading the list of what can be caused. So vomiting, diarrhea, hair loss, changes in skin and nails, headaches, dizziness, irritability, weakness, and kidney disorders. Those are all signs and symptoms from an accumulation of too many vitamins minerals. So it's like, those are the same side effects of chemo, <laughs> like a lot of those. And so it's hard to see. And, and really, truly what gets me so fired up about this topic is death. And I feel severe and people thinking, oh, I saw Goop re- recommend this collagen and I'm going to take that. But patients don't understand what research-based recommendations are and feeling like they want to do something for their health. And when I was a new grad, I had this patient and she had young kids. She's she's actually she's younger than my age now, and her kids were in preschool. And she came in and she had cervical cancer. And I and she had a belly that was, I mean, she looked pregnant with twins, and she would refuse to take it, even Tylenol. She didn't want any medications. She brought in a bag with her of supplements when she checked in that was like so so many bottles. And I'll never forget the surgeon just Class. I was speaking to her in the charting room and she was like, this was supposed to be like a, a shitty six months for this person. And she's dying right now. And um, it's just so frustrating. It's like so hard to watch. And we were all really young nurses at the time working in oncology in the hospital. And not all of us, but there's a lot of, you know, people were younger. It's just, you see things like that and there's no really where to process them or what, why did she do that? What's contributing to that mentality? I've seen it with multiple other patients where they want to do, you know, aggressive. So also an important distinction is alternative medicine versus complementary. So complementary medicine complements what the, the show, so to speak. So like acupuncture, massage, meditation, mindfulness, yoga, like all of that is kind of in the complementary arena, but alternative is instead of. So not wanting to do the treatments recommended and wanting to do supplements or alternative medicine, so to speak. But she ended up sitting up and dying of a blood clot while her kids were being dropped off at preschool. And I just, I remember thinking like, feeling so helpless as a nurse, like, well, how did this just happen? And she was in the hospital. And even I've seen patients who, you know, want to try that first, and then they end up their cancer gets worse. And then they come back and want to do treatments. I was speaking to a patient just recently who's in that position. And it's just so hard to watch. And it's so hard to 
know that Goop and supplements at Target and Sprouts and Whole Foods mm-hmm. and on Instagram and all of this like fake noise getting people to do things that aren't supported by firm evidence and recommendations is just it's literally killing some people and it's mm-hmm. obviously not killing everybody but it's contributing and it's just such a waste of time and money and your energy like if people want to take something or do something for their health like as I mentioned there's they're like even just getting outside and walking for 10 minutes a day that's better than any supplement you'll ever buy at a store <laughs> Yeah, I want to touch on two things so that we were that you were just mentioning. So the first is that they talk about this in the dream podcast where you know, they talk about who the wellness industry is targeting and who who these people are. And I feel like I'm sure as you, as you know, you see this all the time with your cancer patients is that it's like someone gets a cancer diagnosis and it's like all of a sudden they're getting phone calls from people they haven't talked to, right? Oh in my gosh, like weeks, Lindsay. months. And it's like, hey, I have something that will help you. And I think that's what makes my blood boil. And I'm sure yours even more so because it's not, and and not just, you know, patients that have cancer or patients that have been diagnosed with a long-term illness like MS or, you know, lupus, whatever it might be. Oh, I have something that can, that can really help that or cure it or whatever. And they literally have absolutely no business no business at all offering you anything, never mind suggesting that it might do something, unless you're suggesting a walk in the park, right? <laughs> or, hey, I'll make you some really healthy meals or whatever, right? You know, I think, I don't know if you listened to this episode, but if not, you should and everyone needs to, uh, where they had people call in talking about their experiences where people like pitching them well yes. products. And yes. then the guy who was saying his mom, I think she had liver cancer. And he was saying like people were coming out of the woodworks to like, Oh, I have this supplement that would be perfect for your liver. And he was like, well, we need food and we need, you know, like, like actually have a lot of practical needs right now. And yes. your supplement yes. is not one of them, yes. but it really, I mean, it just is heartbreaking because it's like, it's the whole mentality is, and, and I'm like, what, how is it so that that person is so deluded to think that that person has cancer? I sell this product. I can fix this or like, like, how is, how has that happened? Cause it's not uncommon that someone would reach out and say, I have something that's going to help you, you know, with your liver cancer. And it's, I just, it's, I, it's just so crazy to me. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know it is. It is. And then one more thing on the mistletoe injection. So I've, I've never heard of this. I mean, obviously I I practice emergency medicine and so I, but it's all over the internet. Really? (laughs) Yes. Quick Google search. And there are a million things on here about mistletoe injections and I'm actually on cancer.gov. So, you know, essentially there's nothing to, to really support it. A lot of these studies that we do have, a lot of the clinical trials we do have are out of Europe, but there's a lot of issues with these trials, the size, lack of dose information, study design, et cetera. But I did want to mention this because it kind of brings everything that we've been talking about full force. So there was a study done between 1978 and 1987. It looked at the use of mistletoe in non-small cell lung cancer that couldn't be treated with surgery. So these patients were randomly assigned to one of three treatments. The first was the mistletoe injection. The second was an injection made from sheep spleen said to stimulate the immune system and have anti-tumor effects. What? Okay. Anyways, three, a placebo injection of vitamin B. Okay. So the results, 312 patients showed no difference among the three groups in survival or tumor response, but it was noted that more patients in the mistletoe group reported an improved sense of well-being compared with all other patients. Isn't that funny? Because I bet you those people had some sort of, before going into the study, oh, mistletoe injections, you know, I'm sure they had this. Did they know they, uh, was it blind? It does, what randomly assigned, yeah. Yep. But you know, I mean, if you're being told, you're being put into, you know, this study that had it, I don't know. I, I found that to be an Im- improved sense of well-being. I don't know. I mean, I guess. That's also very vague. Wicked vague. What <laughs> does that even measure? mean? Improved. I feel okay today. Like, I don't. 
so bizarre, honestly. I think with mistletoe, actually, I, I do feel like I remember looking into it after this patient mentioned it. But the idea, I want to say, is similar to that of chemotherapy, like killing cancer cells, basically. One thing that, I, that I'm glad that you've re- reminded me to say this that's so important is that so the idea in that chemotherapy, like we make chemotherapy out of periwinkle flowers out of the tree, California Pacific yew tree is one of the, the compound used, found in the tree is used to make chemotherapy. There's, there was a big push, um, I don't know if it was Reagan, but uh, or, uh, there was a president decades ago that made a big push and said, I want chemotherapy and cancer treatments to, to be more naturally mm-hmm. um derived at this point. So people, when they buy supplements and chemotherapy, it's like a lot, they're all, a lot of them are natural substances, but we don't just prescribe. There was a great article about, we don't just prescribe uh, tree bark for cancer. You, you have to study it. And when you get tree bark, you know, depending on where the tree is grown, depending on what part of the tree it is, like the concentration of the compound is so different. You need research to show what exact amount you're giving. And if too little is not helpful, if too much is too harmful to find the right dose. Um, There's so much involved in research and really understanding what research is to make it a product safe to give and effective for what you're trying to treat. And so people just not understanding that that a lot of these supplements are basically things that either have been studied and have not been shown to be helpful or haven't been studied yet versus treatments. Um, a lot of medications too, like I think of digoxin and are basically supplements that have had the money and experience and evidence to show that they're helpful. And that's why they're being prescribed. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's just all so it's just, it's pretty mind blowing. I feel like we could talk about this forever, right? I know. Well, and placebo, the idea of placebo. Because, like, hospitals offer acupuncture. Like, I watched, I was watching something, and I think at UCSF they have, have like, a nurse going around with acupuncture. But and, and we have healing touch in the hospital, and, like, there's other things that are, that are more, like, relaxation-focused, I guess. So, um, but I think, true, at the, at the bottom of that, like, with, with uh, sorry, essential oils, the risk of it, you know, if, if it's, smelling something, the risk is not high. You're not going, you're not usually going, unless you're ingesting it or putting it on your skin, you're not going to have an ill effect from smelling something, but supplements, when you're taking something, think of a supplement, like a medication, because it truly is an unstudied medication. The risks are huge. And, you know, even with inhalation and most of the time it's fine, but somebody who has, you know, a history of pulmonary issues or something like that, you always have to be careful. And then of course, like pets too. I mean, when I was learning more about essential oils, I mean, there are certain ones that can be really have some detrimental effects when it comes to your animals at home too. So I just say to hell with them, (laughs) but you know, (laughs) that's just my personal, personal opinion. I know. I think I'm more like kind of open open of the road, like they're not going to cure anything if you like how they smell and you're, you can, you know, incorporate them into a relaxing practice. Then great. Oh yeah. If they make you feel relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. I think if you are going to bed and you want to feel relaxed and you diffuse your lavender and your combination with, I don't know, vanilla or something, and it smells really good, it puts you to sleep. I think that's great. I wanted to ask you, do you know of any resources, websites that people listening can go to where they can find more information about clinical trials that have been performed on certain supplements. Like say they have a family member who does have cancer or who does have some autoimmune disorder or some other long-term issue, and they're looking into a specific supplement that they've heard about. Is there a resource that we can send them to that would be helpful for them? I mean, obviously talking to a you know, their provider is the best thing, but is there something? I would say if you're in the position to be getting healthcare and you're asking about it, ask for a referral to the dietitian. And you can even say specifically because I want to take supplements. They'll kind of look through those databases that, and usually you have to pay a lot of money to have access to them. So, and like certain there's consumer labs, I think I, I'm forgetting the name, but they'll like randomly test different supplements and to say if they are what they say they are. That's the other thing is like what they sometimes what's in the bottle isn't even what's on the label. And there was a dream, I think they interviewed someone who said like there was half a Viagra pill and one of them that was supposed to help ED. But so I think that 
always working through a registered dietitian and, and asking specifically is like the best way to do it, I, I would say. And then I can send you, I, they, they sent me a few websites that they liked, so I can send those to you. I don't have a few things. I think it's a shame that we don't have better access to like, this is why it's such a problem, right? Is because you have to pay a lot of money to be part of these databases where you can find this information. Like that's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Kind of, but they're like basically medications and there's like gatekeeping, so to speak. And, you know, I don't know if you do just have access to that and sure, you know, like access to seeing which which labs are more reputable, I guess, is more so what you are paying for to, because they have to, to do the testing. But it is something that even, I don't, I just don't think people should be on supplements. So it's, it's, you know, I don't know, you know, what they're, what, whatever that they're going to see about reputable supplements. There isn't any, I've asked every dietitian at every cancer center I've worked at and they all say, no, <laughs> don't take yeah. any. Basically, if your nutrition deficit in something because you, you're like vegetarian or you know that you have low iron, then basically work with your provider to figure out what, what you have a deficit in. And, and then you can take those supplements, but there is zero supplements that are ever going to be recommended to take to prevent or to help treat a condition or they'd be medicines. Yes. So two things. So I will say one website, and this might be one of the ones that you're going to send me, but it's called examine.com. I had actually heard about it through um, one of the food scientists that I had interviewed. Oh, was it food science, babe? Yes. She's great. Erin. Yeah, she's she's amazing. So it's really cool. So it's nutrition information you can trust. They basically, you have to pay to be part of it, but they have a free trial. So like if you were looking up one particular supplement, just sign up for the free trial and then just delete it before, you know, it charges you or whatever. Yeah. And it actually charged me by, you know, I had charged me because I forgot <laughs> it lapsed. They were awesome. They just refunded me. So just so you know, but it, it is recommended by a, a lot of different like MedPage today and things like that. So it is a reputable website. And basically what it does is you'll, you know, type in collagen. Okay. For example, and it will tell you the amount of evidence-based information we have to support its use for certain things. So pain, hair growth, nails. Yeah. So it's a really cool website. So that one I would suggest. And then I also just wanted to touch base. You had mentioned this very briefly, but if you look on the back label of some of these supplements, you'll maybe see something that says, you know, proprietary formula, blend, (laughs) complex, whatever. So the term proprietary blend, it's used to label a blend of ingredients. This could include like human feces. Like it, (laughs) I mean, that's like really drastic and and gross to think about, but you know, that's what first came to my mind. Sorry. Organs. I mean, people think beef organs, (laughs) like it would not be rare for there to be organs in a, a blend. It could be anything. These companies, and I want to make this very clear, like these companies can literally put whatever they want. They can put fingernail shavings into the proprietary blend and just say it's a blend. I would say (laughs) if you do really want to take a supplement, please look at the ingredient list, look at what it says, really try to hone in on exactly what everything is in that ingredient list. But I I guarantee you on most bottles, it's going to say blend or complex or something. And that is just a hidden word. That means we put whatever the F we wanted to in this (laughs) and we don't have to list it out. This is what they're doing anyways, but it's so crazy. I I can't, I mean, once you kind of listened to the the dream podcast, I, I was just kind of appalled by how unregulated everything is, right? Yes. I mean, it was I mean, and it says on the bottle, this is not, you know, FDA approved or whatever, but, you know, I mean, even the prenatal vitamins I take say that, but I, you know, again, like at nauseum, like went through the ingredient list, how much is, you know, what dosage of each vitamin is in there and everything to make sure that it was appropriate. But yeah, it's just, you know, that's a good point because it kind of, I know we're like over time, but the whole do your own research like with oh, what, with what started. training that you're just supposed <laughs> to be trained all of a sudden to know what research is good and what's bad and what's strong and what's weak. And then, and then also apply it into practice. It's like, just doesn't, you know, it's, it's 
doesn't really make sense, which is why, you know, I, I always go back to like, if you have concerns, your doctors like are dying to talk to you. Like there's dietitians, you know, if you're overweight and you're wanting to lose weight, like Kaiser in particular, there there's like weight loss programs and there's, there's professionals within the, our systems who want to help and who already have thought of this question and have like usually developed courses or have, you know, resources to send to you. So a lot of times, like even with mom's group, you know, people send pictures like, and I sometimes want to just text, you know, what's this rash? But I'm like, you know, really, I can send this to my doctor in a message and she will respond. And she knows, you know, my kid or me and knows our health history and can actually be a good resource. So I, I love to just point people back to their providers because they, they really can be helpful. And it also, they want to be partners with you to help you lead a healthier life. Yes. And I had recently read a, an article. I'm going to, I'll put it in the show notes as well. It's an opinion article, just FYI, <laughs> but it's, it's from the New York times and it's um, it's titled like a skeptics say, do your own research. And then it kind of like, you know, goes down that rabbit hole about like, you know, how are we supposed to do our own research if we don't, you know, know how to do our own research? Anyways, I'll link it in the show notes. Let's end with the the two questions I always ask my podcast guests. So the first one is, and this doesn't have to be related to the topic today. If you could give moms any type of advice, what would it be? Like first time moms, what would you say? Oh gosh, that's a good question. I have a post about like I collected all of the tips from like labor and delivery nurses and postpartum nurses and about the pandemic. And I think it would all go back to you were designed to take care of your kids. Literally, you were either if you adopted them, then you were specifically paired for a purpose. And nobody is more qualified to take care of your kids than you. And nobody has more knowledge about your kids than you. And, you know, especially with with COVID and people pushing back, someone says, I don't feel safe doing that, or I don't want to come to this mm-hmm. gathering. You know, some, maybe some people's families are giving them pushback, but just decide what, what's right for you and, you know, get input from the people that you need to get input from. And if you make a decision, like, just trust yourself more. I think that others should not make you feel bad about whatever decision you make if it's different than what they would make. And I think just really feeling the confidence to make decisions for yourself and your family and then and feel good about that because you have a divine combination of, you know, relationship and knowledge. And I think moms have much more wisdom than we give ourselves credit for. You know, sticking with your instinct, you know, if you if you think something's wrong and someone tries to say to you, I mean, no matter who it is, like, no, I don't really think, you know, anything's wrong. Stick with it. Stick with your gut. Like, go Absolutely. see someone else. Talk with someone else. You know what I mean? That's something, too. I mean, just for women in general, like, I had one patient who had three negative breast biopsies, and she kept going back. And her doctor was receptive, but she just kept saying, I really think something's wrong. And on the fourth biopsy, we found lymphoma when she was pregnant. And isn't that so crazy? Such like a, you know, I tell people it's not this top down relationship, like with your doctors, you know, with everybody, it should be a partnership. And so but really, you know, I, again, trust your instinct, I think is a great way of summarizing all of that advice to just, that doesn't mean be a bully, but it means, you know, you can push back and say, I don't feel comfortable, or I don't feel confident, or can we please look at this again, are great ways of coming back to that. Yes. Yep. I agree. I love that. Last question is, if you could make one dinner for your family that everyone would eat, that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. Pasta. We all love pasta. So some kind of my husband has this, but there's a Jamie Oliver. It's called proper blokes sausage dish. And it's like, I don't even like sausage, but it's like ground pork and parsley and Parmesan and pasta. And it's so good. And all four of us will just gobble it up. It's the best and it makes the best leftovers. I'm sure you could probably too, like use whatever you wanted to. They have a, you know what sausage we love? Oh my gosh. What is the name of the brand? I will look it up for you guys. I'm totally blanking on it right now, but they make like different flavors. Like there's apple and sage. There's oh. like Mexican oh, Where do you get it from? Huh? Where do you get it from? What kind of stuff? I get it from Stop and Shop, but I've seen it at other uh, grocers too. Is it Adel's? A-I-D-E-L? No. I'll look at it right after here. It's amazing. We, yeah, I'll put, definitely put it in the show notes. And I'm, I'm assuming you could probably just crumble that up too and use that. Like if... And, 
You know, it's, yeah. it's I, I believe it's a vegetarian sausage. Oh, interesting. And that's the other thing too, is like, obviously red meat, you know, use, eat limited amounts, but it's, it's a very good dish when you're going to splurge. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a good treat. Yeah. I mean, the food pyramid, the food pyramid exists for a reason. <laughs> You know, so okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tracy, for taking time out of your day to chat with us about all these fun things. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for having me. This is a real treasure treat for me, and just it's just nice and very orienting to talk to somebody else about these kinds of ideas. So, thank you for having me very much, and thank you for what you're doing with the podcast and your website. Thanks, Tracy. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.